Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Real Talk, the film podcast from the Stony Book Press. I'm your host, Dylan, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Carmela. Hello, and I'm Carmela. Today, we are going to be starting the first of our uh, little mini-series that's called Spotlight. Um, these are going to be a little more self-contained than our usual episodes. It's just me and Carmela today. And today, the spotlight is going to be on director Jordan Peele. Um, heavy spoilers ahead for Get Out, Us, and Nope. We're going to be talking about all three of them pretty in-depth. And today, we're just going to be talking about his three films, what he's done for horror, what he's done for the film industry in general, um, the inclusivity that he brings with his films, and just all around the, uh, just his stuff. And I'm really excited to get going. Great. Yep. Very well said. Um, Jordan Peele, just to give like a little background on him. He, if you don't know who he is, I'm sure people do know, <laughs> but he is uh, a great comedian. I believe he kind of started out that way. I think, well, they had, um, Keaton Peele's been going on forever. Yeah. And he's just an amazing writer and an amazing actor, I think. Is I he think the he, better of the two, you think? I think he's the better of I the two. I think he does an amazing job of, like, portraying a woman. They both do, but, like, he does... Like the series about Megan, like she, okay. If you don't know who that, what that is. <laughs> We're um, going to go off now. This is now a, a Key and peel episode. Key, um, Peel. Which one's Key and which one's Peel? Key is the skinny guy. Okay. Bald. And so, Peel is the, sometimes he has a beard, sometimes he doesn't. So Peel. Oh, Jordan Peel. Jordan Peel. The guy who we're doing this episode. <laughs> about, Anyways, uh, he dresses up as Megan and she's like this crazy like control freak who's like violent and she doesn't think she is and i just think it's really funny he does a great job i always really like the episode where he's uh he's ordering the pizza for himself but it's like he's trying to yeah. make it seem like he's at a party <laughs> they're both really funny um and that's what i think is really cool he's he was originally known for his comedic stuff and now he's doing these really cool horror movies that started out low budget. Um, Get Out, I think only had a budget of a couple million, which um, in comparison to Nope, which is like a crazy blockbuster, I think it's really cool to see how he's grown as a filmmaker. When you compare his movies as time goes on, you could see the spectacle and the scope getting so much bigger, especially when you look at Get Out and compared to Nope. That actually makes a lot of sense because... I mean, when you're not told the information, you don't really realize that it's like low budget. It's one yeah. location. It's, you know, no one really changes costumes. Relatively small cast to yeah. get out. I never realized that. But now that I think about it, I think that it's brilliant because, yeah. you know, it's so well done. You wouldn't know that it's low budget at all. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, like, obviously there are other films that have a smaller budget, but uh, Get Out is only like, a, like I said, a couple million. That's really impressive that you're able to pull off such a definitive hit and, you know, for relatively cheap, it's really cool. And then to see him get the funding later on. And now of course he's got his own production studio, uh, Monkey Paw Studios. And um, yeah, it's just really cool to see a creator grow from- That's his own studio? Monkey Paw is his 
Yeah. That's he, insane because Get now- Out was through Blumhouse. And then with us, he started the Monkey Paw and that's been his his own oh. production studio. Then, then the production studio has actually done a lot of work because I've seen it quite a few times. You have outside of his movies? I don't think yes, I have. Yes, I've seen it. Maybe I'm mistaken, but I'm pretty sure I've seen it outside just his movies. But um, getting into Get Out, I feel like we should go chronologically. Uh, getting into Get Out. Getting in oh, oh. to Get Out. Um, I wanted like just highlight some really cool features of it that I saw throughout the movie. Sure. It's been a while. It's been a while since I've seen it. So please forgive me. I think I saw it, um, I want to say the beginning of last month. So yeah, about a month or two ago. Pretty recent. I've seen it. The imagery in it, I feel like it's very good. It's like very poetic in a way because, you know, you have like strong images of a bunch of white people in white at an auction mm-hmm. as opposed to um, the main character who's just wearing, you know, normal casual clothes and he sticks out in that way. Um and not to mention just like the little hints throughout the movie that like the only other black people are the servants. Are the servants, but at the same time they're like strange. They don't understand when he like says certain things like like slang. The handshake with Lakeith the handshake. Stanfield. Yeah, they don't really understand any of that. It's kind of like it's kind of like oh, what's up with that? You know, like why do do they seem a lot older than they are maybe Mm -hmm. like that they just don't understand the context of certain things i think these movies do a really good job of um, giving you the sense that it's kind of like a crooked painting in a way and i think get out does this the best where everything at surface level seems fine but then when you start to peel back the layers you see that Everything isn't quite what it seems. And I think the best way he does this is um, the subtle, like when they unplug his phone at the beginning of every morning, that kind of thing. Cause it's such a, um, it's such a natural thing in today's days. Like, oh, I plug my phone in before I go to bed. And when I wake up, it's plugged in in the morning and it's fully charged. When you take something that's so natural like that, and it's such like, an, it's an ingrained in our, um, in like our routines and you suddenly remove that, that is like the perfect way to like, oh, something's not right. It's such a weird thing to wake up to that mm-hmm. I'm surprised he didn't catch up, catch yeah. on. But like, just they do so many things that are kind of shady. You would expect him to catch on. I think ca- like from what I remember, he catches on pretty quickly, but then he has the girlfriend whose name I'm forgetting. Um, oh, I got it here. Um, Rose Armitage. Yes. He has Rose kind of like, not seducing him, but just kind of keeping him away from catching on. And then of course the, um, the hypnotism scenes, absolutely breathtaking cinematography. And you really feel like just completely sunken in and the way that you're able to empathize with the main character as he's kind of just like trapped in his own body is really cool. The way that that perspective is, uh, is really built into the, into get out. I think that's really well done. I think Daniel Kaluuya, I think I said his name, right? Yes. Um, he's an amazing actor. He's, he has to be like Peel's favorite 
Yeah, because he's two out of two. three. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but he's really good. His facial expressions during like the hypnotism scenes are like just amazing. That's enough to scare you in and of itself. Yeah, because you kind of, it feels suffocating. It mm. feels like very panicked. And he makes you feel that way just by looking at him. And as we're doing a shout out to people's acting, the woman who plays Rose... Holy Allison crap. Williams. Oh my God. The, she the, like the definition of two faced, like, no, but like the scene where she was on the phone eating and the she, cereal and she was doing that. First of all, she was separating the colored. She's separating the colored yes. from the whites. Yes. She was doing that, but also <laughs> she was so stone faced. Like she was not making any emotional expression and she was like eating each fruit loop like one at a time yeah she was weird just unsettlingly cold and really good job but also just the fact that she was doing that while talking on the phone with his friend and being like like she sounded on the verge of tears yeah and then you just see her just like staring at the wall, like straight face. Like, how does she do that? Mm -hmm. And the same thing can be said for uh, like Keith Sanfeld when he snapped out of the uh, hypnotism and he just completely flips from what I think is the grandfather, mm -hmm. right? To like who he actually was. And we see him get abducted in the beginning of the film. Really amazing job because that, in my opinion, is one of the scariest points of the film because you don't know what's going on. He doesn't know what's going on. It's just a whole big whiplash of emotions. And I think it's done really well. I also like, I feel like there was just one thing that I thought was, a, I, I don't even want to say this because Peel is like an amazing director and maybe it's just something I forgot or didn't pay attention to. Mm -hmm. But I always thought it was weird, maybe a bit of a plot hole that they would replace their bodies with the healthy bodies of black people, but then they would keep them as servants, knowing like in serve like servitude roles, knowing that they're their family members. I, I just thought, think it's weird. I thought the servitude aspect of it was maybe a uh, a ruse, I guess, because like if he um if they were just hanging out, that might have. Uh, off a red flag but to integrate them into the family and i guess what they would consider a natural way maybe helps keep up the illusion that everything is fine for them that's how i interpreted it but i could at, be wrong but at the same time like when i was watching it it seemed like it felt like they weren't even a part of the family it didn't well, because feel. they didn't want you to think they were yeah i guess so i just i just thought it was a little weird because then at the same time they're racist so why would they want to That's, be in the bodies mm. of black people like well i understand that like that you know white people have had like this long history of kind of like taking advantage of culture taking advantage of like people of color's abilities like their labor their resources and then having it for themselves but i just always thought it was weird like if they're so racist and against their skin color why would they want to be them i think nope is a um a look at cultural appropriation to the nth degree and i the the um the uh the example that comes straight to my head is the grandfather he takes over the gardener 
and he makes a point to say like, oh, I got, I love to practice my running. And of course, um, black people, African-Americans are stereotypically known for being fast runners. That's something I picked up on because maybe that's just when you look at it like that and you put them, you put yourself into their like perspective, lens. they think like, these are the desirable traits that I want. So I'm going to go after them. Oh, I guess so. I just. And I'm, it's of course a metaphor for cultural appropriation as a whole. Yeah. And it's taken to a literal degree in this movie. I feel like then in that case, it really takes someone to like put yourself into the shoes of people who think that way. Yeah. I mean, which is also kind of like disturbing in itself because then you have to think like of their motives, you know, what possesses a person to do that? And then you're like, well, how many of them are there? Yeah. Cause like, it wasn't just one family, like other people, not a part of the family were there. Mm -hmm. It was weird. I, I love the movie. When I first watched it, I thought it was genius. That's not saying much. Can I say of, my hot take? Yes. I think I'm going to catch hate from this. I'm going to catch so much hate for this. Oh no. I think it's the weakest of the three. Well, not to say it's a bad movie. I love get out. Don't quote me on saying it's a bad movie. I think get out is brilliant, but I do think it's the weakest of the three. I can personally. see what you mean by that. Just because it, it is not the highest budget of all of them. And also just, I feel like Us and Nope expanded beyond, like, realism, if that makes sense. Like, yes. like I feel like yeah. this film was more close to that, like, barrier between reality. It's definitely reality. the most grounded of the three. Yeah, because, you know, like... But that plays to its strengths also, because this is like, that's the, that this is the, the one that's most like, oh boy, this could actually happen. Obviously it's fiction, but mm -hmm. it's the closest one. Like obviously crazy spoilers ahead. Obviously there is not going to be a giant alien cuttlefish flying around and there isn't going to be psycho doppelgangers of us underneath the ground. Yeah. But, um, there will always be racists. There will always be racists as yep. history has proven. So, no, I, I, I see what you mean, but I will, I will say in terms of just like his ability to like, just his attention to detail in this film is still just as good I as think his so. other yeah, ones. 100%. Because, um, I didn't know this at the time, but the song at the end of the movie was actually, um, I forget if it was like, um, an African song specifically, it was meant to be about like freedom and like getting away and like I, I forget the name of the song I'm gonna look it up but it is um it's rooted in that yeah it's, it's rooted into the history and it was just really cool to put at the end because they had escaped they mm -hmm. escaped the clutches of that horrible family and like it turns into that song that's kind of like you know that's some it's a rare victory in history Yes. One would say like it, it was very powerful, I think. Uh, real quick. What are your thoughts on the alternate ending of this? I think this is the only one of his movies that has an alternate ending. I've never heard or seen an alternate ending. Really? There's, yes. an, there's an alternate ending. It's um, if you have the Blu-ray or the DVD, it's in there. Uh, you can probably find it on YouTube, too. Essentially, um, 
his friend, the TSA worker, doesn't make it in time. And that cop car at the end of the movie is actually just a regular cop. And Daniel Kaluuya, he gets arrested. And they believe um, his girlfriend instead of him. And that's the ending of the movie. He oh. gets arrested. <laughs> and I think it ends on his uh, the TSA worker visiting him in prison. And that's how the movie ends. That's the alternate ending. Personally... I don't like that, but I think um, it uh, it definitely speaks again to um, injustices as a whole and how African Americans are perceived by you know law enforcement. Mm -hmm. I do think that thematically it doesn't fit with the rest of the movie because. You're go you have a whole two hour movie on cultural appropriation and the dangers of that and then to suddenly go in this other direction. It's also not fulfilling for the character, I don't think. But that's just my opinion. I think I've seen people online saying they prefer the alternate ending or they think the alternate ending is, is better. Um teach their own, I guess. To each their own. And that's the best thing about movies is you can um, you can pick out what you like and what you don't like and stick to that. Art is a, uh, art is like, it's good like that. Um, would you like to talk about us? So one thing though, I do want to circle back to the song cause it's very significant. I was incorrect. It was not like about specifically like escaping. It was more of a warning, which I think is even cooler. So the songs in Swahili Mm -hmm. And the translation of it is, brother, listen to the ancestors, run. You need to run far. Listen to the truth. Brother, listen to the ancestors, run, run to save yourself. Listen to the ancestors. And it was actually apparently in the beginning of the movie as well. I did not catch that. And it's a very clear warning. And um, it's just... It's meant to kind of be throughout the film and to show that, like, like... Again, something isn't right. Yeah, like, foreboding. Like That whole idea you of need the to go. and something is... Well, him staring at the deer head. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. So, but yeah, I think that's, that's so significant in the fact that it was in the beginning and the end. I feel like it, in the beginning... For those who don't speak the language, you don't really know or pay attention until after you like look it up. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it's just like a cool thing to discover afterwards. And it shows just how much detail he put into this movie. Well, as he does all the movies, but I really like this song. It was, it's yes. like he described it as haunting, um, very like a warning sign. It's kind of chilling. So that's the best thing about it, I think. And that's why he might have chosen a song that's not in English, because listening to it, you can get that something isn't quite right, but you might not know the meaning behind it. And then after the movie, obviously, you understand the twist and you know the plot and everything. And then when you finish watching, you can look up the song and see, oh, I see what you did there. And that might be uh, it's, it's a cool way to put yourself in the shoes of the character. Yes, exactly. But yeah, now I'm ready to move on to, to us? us. Winston Duke is a really fun dad. He is. I liked him. I, I want feel him like to be my dad. 
He was a great dad. He's, um, he is the fun one. And Lupita Nyong'o, who is amazing in this movie, I think def- definitely the best part. Um, she's kind of the cautious one. And their two kids are kind of in the middle, I feel like. Yeah. I feel like the son, the son is, is definitely like her. Mm-hmm. And the daughter is more like her dad. But um, I, I wanted to say, though, the dad, I just... Because he's so, like, soft and, like, kind throughout the film, I was just like, damn it, just, like, shove the shit out of somebody. He's also really horny at one point. Was he? I think so. Are you sure? I think she's talking, she's, like, trauma dumping on him about, it was after, it was the, it was after they went to the beach. Yeah. And he's, like, looking for sex, and she's like, yeah, well, um, I got a lot of PTSD, actually. It's right before the other family shows up in the driveway. Oh, I've never caught on to that, if I'm being honest. I just thought they were, like, (laughs) sitting in bed talking. I thought he was very horny, but that's besides the point. Um, I really like the family dynamic. I really like the, um, it felt so natural when they encounter themselves and the interactions they have with themselves and the mirroring and just the sheer, the fear of when they're looking out in the driveway and they see the silhouettes and that part is so. I thought it was funny. Memorable to me. I thought it was memorable, but I also thought it was funny because it was, I was just like, I was spooked. And then I was like laughing because they just came out of nowhere and I was like, lock the doors, <laughs> lock the windows. They came out of nowhere and then one of them, I think it's the son, he goes on all fours and runs around. Oh God, that, that was, part was, was crazy. That was, but yeah, anyway, um, this movie, um, like Get Out, has a lot of uh, themes that uh, play on social problems that are happening today. I felt like it was class. In my opinion, I just feel like it was very much calling out like the class divide in America. That was my take on it. I just thought it was interesting that you see like these like characters, these people who live below the people who are doing better than them. Mm -hmm. They're like, they have horrible conditions, but at the same time they mirror the conditions that the people above are living, it's just that, you know, they don't have the resources. They don't have like the means they've, they, they've never been given a chance at life. They were never, they were abandoned. They were never educated. They were, they could barely speak English. Yeah. They were left, you know, to their own, you know, like to survive basically. And they've survived there for what seemed like generations. Mm-hmm. And, I thought it was like to point out the class divide in maybe not in the world, maybe just in America. Um, but whichever, you know, setting that is, I just thought it was interesting to see that versus like the above world when Adelaide was mirroring um, the alternate version of Adelaide. What was it red? Red is the, um, well, technically, spoilers for the movie Us, Red is the mother. Yes. Um, the abo- Red is married to Winston Duke 
Well, they're both married to Winston Duke. This is getting confusing. Okay, I'll- Red is, <laughs> Red is the mother on the top and Adelaide is the mother on the bottom because they got switched in the House of Mirrors on the beach. If you think about it though, it's kind of like, you know, people would do anything to get into like a better position in life. And it shows that like where you come from, you know, it kind of, it, it changes, you know, your future. It can alter the course of your life. You know, Adelaide, Adelaide, despite her family having like marital problems, like her parents. The, and the children, um, I feel like they're, at the beginning of the film, at least there is a bit of a disconnect between the parents and the children. I picked up on that. Yeah. I also feel like it was just interesting to see that this girl who had promise, you know, she had a life planned out ahead of her. And then all of it changed when she was suddenly put into this different like position in life, even though it's still technically are her parents. They are, Mm -hmm. they just, they're not they're not like educated. They're not, they can't speak English. Yeah. The conditions are horrible. As I said, they're eating bunnies. Yeah. But it's interesting to see that we see red thrive besides, you know, her PTSD and everything. Yeah. Um, just the small her, stuff, little, little just bits small of PTSD. Things. But we see her thrive, have a family and everything um, above ground. And we see Adelaide, like becoming this beacon of hope for these people underground. And yeah, she's pretty much their messiah. Yeah. She's the whole she's the whole catalyst for them coming up however many years later. And it's kind of like a revolution. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, it only takes that one like driven, intelligent person. And to, they win. To, yeah, they do win. They, they win. <laughs> so I, I just thought it was interesting to see it from that perspective. I don't know what Peel outright said it was, but that's how I took it. You could it. also look at the classism between the two families on the top too. Um, yeah. Elizabeth Moss's family, um, that stereotypical white family that they meet up with on the beach. And then they eventually, um, they eventually die with that funny Alexa joke. Mm-hmm. Um, you see the contrast between the two families and like, oh, they got the bigger car. Oh, they got the bigger boat. Oh, look at them. And, and it was their downfall. And there was their downfall ultimately. And I think it's really interesting to see the contrast between what we know as classism naturally with the two families on the surface and then the themes of classism and, um, you know, different upbringings that are shown between the others and the tethered and that it's interesting to see the two layers of it. I actually, I looked it up and he said it was about like being afraid of the outsider and being afraid of like the idea of a bad guy coming to get us. That's exactly what he said. Mm-hmm. And that we are our own worst enemy. But I feel like if I took the class idea from this and maybe other people did, then it could also translate into that worst enemy idea that we are our worst enemies because humans put themselves in these boxes. Like we as a society have created this class system that's shown for centuries that it does not work, that it always ends in bloodshed. Um, 
And yet we continue to live as we do with, you know, some small victories, of course, not small, but like in the grand scheme of things, they are. Um, so I, I, it's, I take it as like a part of this idea that we are our own worst enemies. Humanity is what's destroying humanity, mm-hmm. which I think is a cool perspective. The fact that the tethered ultimately win this story and even on a small scale, they win because red um, kills Adeline and becomes the matriarch again. And she, it really goes to show that um, I feel like sometimes that part of yourself that can, that is your own worst enemy, that part of yourself that you're trying to lock away and always ends up winning. It always ends up winning. And maybe it's the better option possibly if you look at it from she's from the family's point of view she's like the id she is the id and um when she's taking control and when she's kind of guiding the family because she's the one that's like leading them to safety i feel like and um that when you find out that she's the one that was on the bottom it brings a whole new perspective to what they're doing because now they're not fighting the tethered on the bottom. They're trying to understand, well, how did this happen? Because now one of them is, well, obviously they don't know that, but one of them is among them and one of them is, uh, is their leader. And it's interesting, it's interesting to see how that is so seamlessly put into their family dynamic and they don't even know it until the end of the movie. Yeah. Like she's scared of like very, weird things she barely eats mm-hmm. in the movie barely sleeps Isn't she she um she cuts a she's cutting a strawberry with like a knife and fork I yeah think. no she's eating it like an apple she's eating the strawberry like an apple i think and then she was doing something weird with the strawberry, the strawberry but then she yeah. didn't finish she didn't finish the strawberry her little strawberry meal um but i always thought that this was one of his movies that should have been should have had a sequel interesting I love his twist endings and like leaving it off, but I genuinely feel like this could use a sequel just because like it's such an interesting and unique story that and it can be expanded because, you know, are there are there tethereds in like more than just the US? Are, See, that's a good question. Yeah, because like. They make it seem like it's a United States experiment. But it's such a large, it's just interesting. Is it one area of the U.S.? Because if you think about it, how are those tunnels so large that they're expanding across the United States? Well, you have to think it's it's definitely at least all of California. It has to be. Yeah, but then, like, is it New York? Is it the Midwest, you know, or is it just big cities, small cities, well, DC's small places? On the, DC's on the East Coast, and it would have to have gone through there. So, you know, maybe I can see it being countrywide. I definitely can. And I think that if it is countrywide, that greater installs the theme of this countrywide classism that has been integrated into our society and the fact that it was abandoned by the country shows that it's been ignored for a very long time. Yep, it's not a problem until it causes a problem for you. But yeah, that wraps us. Oh, that wraps up us 
Are we going to talk about the big one now? Uh, yes. Nope. Talk- nope is great. I love Nope. I liked the music for the trailer. I feel like Jordan Peele always does a great job of like the soundtrack. I feel like mm-hmm. it's really, he always puts a lot of thought into it. And this is no exception because um, when I first saw the trailer, I honestly, it felt like a comedy. Did it not? I felt like- They definitely did a really good job this one, especially when you watch the trailer, you don't have any idea of what the movie's actually about. Yeah, I had At no all. idea. I thought I knew I knew it was going to be about aliens. Well, you you can assume that it is aliens, and I assumed aliens too. I think I even told you before I watched it. I was like, "Oh, it's aliens, isn't it?" And you were like, "It's kind of yeah." Spoilers. But- Spoilers for heavy, those? heavy, heavy spoilers for Nope. We're going to yeah. get into it. But um, even the inclusion of Kiki Palmer, who is phenomenal in this as the lead, well, co-lead, but she, I feel like she's the main character. It feels like it because she, yeah. you know, you look at her and she's like, oh, it's the Disney Channel, Kiki Palmer. She's kind of being, when she's doing her little monologue to the, you know, at the film stage, she's kind of being a little, a little tongue in cheek with it. You think this could be a comedy, maybe. Yeah, but um, then you kind of get into, like, the meaty parts of it. Like, the, um, what is a bad miracle? Yeah, like, I felt like that was really weird. And it off-put me in the movie, because I was like, what the fuck is happening? You know, like, I don't understand. I actually didn't like it when I first saw it. Until really? I was like, oh, yeah, wait, this is actually really interesting and genius. But, like... I think I put more thought into the theme of this because you really have to think. It's, and it's definitely yeah. It's definitely one of those movies where you have to understand characters' motives, and yeah. I say that especially when you look at Jupe. Um, it's about taming the beast, consumerism. How, like, and like we often use like these vessels of entertainment as just, you know, entertainment until we realize we can't control these things. Like specifically for animals, you know, you can't have like exotic animals and as entertainment and then not expect them to go off, you know, to their nature. Yeah. And you see it with the Gordy's home incident, which I think is really well done, especially because you don't see most of it. Until the end. I don't even think... Like, no. You don't see the bodies. You see one body. You see, body. like, a foot. No, no, or no. Or, like, a leg. They showed the beating. Yeah, but it's not... It's it's behind the couch. Oh, I thought you I saw even, her face. Well, you see the survivor at the show. Oh, no. Oh, you know what? I feel like the sounds during those scenes were so visceral that I imagined well, they, it. They were. And that's the best because you can imagine it and you can imagine like the beating and the balloons popping and you see just enough, you see just enough where you know like what's happening, but you don't see everything. I don't think anything's ever made me, like no horror movie has made me as sick as that scene. I could not look. When Gordy looked directly at the camera. In the the very beginning. Yeah, I was just like, "Mm, No, sir. Nope. But, um... I like this movie immediately because Keith David is in it. Keith David is only in it for like 10 minutes, I think, maybe less. 
but I love Keith David and I wanted to put that in because it is way less Keith David. I love Keith David. I fucking love Keith David so much. And <laughs> this is a rude was... episode now because I said a bad word, but I've been I don't saying care. Him. I fucking love Keith David so much. And, um, his death kicks off the entire movie. Yeah. The quarter in the middle of the head, I think is such an interesting symbol because that in and of itself is a bad miracle. It's, it's like, where did this come from? Where did it come from? But also it's perfectly in the middle. It's a perfect, like, why it's, it's kind of like the eleven eleven thing from us, which I'm, you know, we kind of touched on it again. It's this, it's such a crazy coincidence that it happened the way, like right through the eye and it's in the middle of his head and it's like, wow, it's a bad miracle. And that of course is a result of the alien. Um, but the, just the symbolism alone of he's the he's the black guy in Hollywood. He's um he's supplying the big uh, the big the big film directors of their horses, and um Jean Jacket being a, a symbol of I guess American sensationalism, American like, the film industry yeah. spectacle. And how it's being, dying out. That being the one, that being the thing that kills him with a token. A oh, because he's the token. That's cool. But I also think it shows that, like, that need to hold on to the past and how it's always been done, how it ended up killing him in the end. And, and then we move. It's also the duality between the siblings, too. Not to jump ahead of you. Yeah, yeah. No, but that, yeah, that's what I was going to. No, no, I like it. I like it. I think that, you know, we see it in the next scene where, like, OJ is trying to stick to that, like, the tradition of what their family's been doing. And the, I forget her name. But she's, um, she's plugging her own thing. Yeah, she's like, she's trying to combine that tradition with a new way of doing things because she knows that what it takes to be relevant in the, the industry is to Emily. be up to date, to be kind of like involved in everything. And OJ doesn't really understand this. He's stuck in his own grief and his father's like teachings. And then it ends up like blowing up in his face because we see a sneak preview of like, you can't always tame these animals to do exactly like what you want, how you want it. Because in the end, they're still animals. They're going to kick if you like smack in the butt or- The horse is going to kick. Yeah. If you like flash a light in its face. Oh, it saw its own eyes. That's why she freaked out. And then, you know, they were like, you know what? We'll just go with the CGI, a horse. And it just shows like- it's this like need to cling on to the past is also killing his business. So he has to go and sell the horse. And that opening scene is basically a giant metaphor for the whole movie. Mm-hmm. When you look at Jean Jacket as a, um, as like not an antagonist, but like just a force of nature, this animal that um, genuinely terrified me. Um, yeah. I like the reveal because I was it's such a cool reveal. I really thought it was a flying saucer and yeah. she was hiding behind this cloud, like an intelligent animal hiding. 
And she only revealed herself as like she got bolder with her kills. And as I feel like he goes on. And I feel like that's fairly like characteristic of a wild animal because if you find like a wild animal in a populated civilized area, they're not going to t- attack often. They're going to attack when they need to, mm-hmm. like when they absolutely need to. But then as time goes on and they realize they can do it without opposition, they start getting more bold. Or, you know, if you're antagonizing it, like OJ was, it's going, or, and Jupe, it's going to eventually, like, blow up in your face because, you know, you can't do that with a wild animal. Like, if you're trying to lure a wolf out, and then the wolf comes and it attacks you, you can't really be like, oh, why'd that happen? Yeah. It's just one of those things that's like a lot of this movie takes advantage of like the animals for, you know, Hollywood sensationalism and how humans can profit off of it. And then we don't realize, you know, you can't mess with the animal kingdom like that. We, we are so beneath that order when it comes down to it. Like, yeah, we have guns, we have machinery, we can do all these things, but in the end, when it comes down to just what you have and what it has, it's going to win. And it's really cool to look at because Emerald, in the beginning of the movie, um, she wants pictures, and that's her goal. I don't, th- I don't remember OJ really caring about the commercial aspect of it, but Emerald was like, oh, "I want pictures. I'm gonna go," and she recruits Angel, who is great. Well, he stuck yeah. around. He stuck around because he he um he, he likes the, the, uh, the UFO thing, and I think he got way more than he bargained for. I thought he was going to die. No, he didn't. yeah, he lived, he he lived, and boy, did he have a story to tell by the end of it. But it's cool to see when she's got this commercial mindset, she's very much the victim, and you you see that when she's in the house with him, and the blood is raining down, and she's hiding. She's, she's scared. Hiding, she's scared when she gets that commercial idea out of her head. And I think it really happens when the incident at the, at the theme park happens and Jupe dies and everyone gets sucked up and that horrible digestion sequence takes place. And Oh boy, that, that scene is squishy. That was like Jordan Peele just did an amazing job in this movie of using his skills in cinematography to portray unnerving images Mm -hmm. like beyond what any sfx makeup can do he like he goes beyond the common like thing in horror where it's like how can we make this person more like scary less humanoid you know like it goes beyond that standard scary and moves into phobia territory. Really great creature design. Mm-hmm. Really amazing. I think it was either Jordan Peele himself or one of the art designers. They put up on Twitter a cross section of Jean Jacket and it shows you like the whole, like the uh, where the iris is and where the digestion tube is. And 
such a, you can tell how much care was put into it. You can tell how they really wanted it to be a unique thing. And when you look at the design of it and when you look at, yes, it's supposed to be modeled after a flying saucer, but the in actuality, it is its own unique animal and that it's such a cool, and you really get to see like how it's, how it eats and how it digests and it's disgusting and it sounds like a water bottle and it's all squishy and stuff and it's every little detail that could be put in to make you feel as unsettled as possible is there and it shows how much care is put into the project and that I really applaud. I feel like also like those sounds that you mentioned like you don't even need to see a lot of the action like in Gordy's home. No you um, don't. We mentioned like you know it's not directly like bloody it's not directly like we don't see this person's this little girl's face being caved in oh god yeah and the horse above her and it's like a it's barely bones on top of her yeah it's just like oh it's just also the thought of just being in there and you're like being pushed through and it's probably really warm with other people with other people and the screams it's also think about it like if you're in like such soft, like such soft material, like there's no echo. No. So it's really just like very raw is yeah. how I would put it. Cause you're not hearing like, Wah! you know, it's, it's just there and it makes you all the more realize like I'm trapped. Yeah. Like that lady that they, the one lady they focused on, um, but you know, I wanted to mention Jean Jacket's like character design. Like I'm looking at images of cephalopods. Cuttlefish and octopi. Yes, they're that group of animal has always been like the subject of many people's like It's very rich in mythology. Like you got the Kraken and you've got This movie does a lot with Eldritch Horror. And Lovecraftian stuff, the big, um, the idea of having this giant monster, and if you look at it, you die. It's yeah. very Lovecraftian, and I think the idea of Jean Jacket being um, based off marine life, because even when it's in its saucer form, it looks like a sand dollar, or well, it, it yeah. looks, it's like horseshoe crab kind of. But you know what's interesting about that is that there's this whole idea about like how cephalopods look alien like they're not from our planet that Mm -hmm. they're so intelligent like octopi can literally get out of their enclosures and learn how to do things like they can turn on things with the switch they know there's an octopus that knows how to like short out the electricity in their enclosure like in the lamps by squirting water on it and it knows exactly what it's doing and knows that it can do that. And I just think it's cool because as I said, I feel like Jordan really dig dug deep in all of the phobias that humans commonly have. Mm-hmm. What was it? Thalassophobia, the fear of oceans. Thalassophobia. Yeah. yeah or there's, there's your claustrophobia. Um, there's the fear of the unknown. Fear of blood. Mm-hmm. Big one. Fear of like, I feel like people have a definite fear of like natural disasters occurring. And I feel like 
or like freak accidents with the quarter? It's very gory and it's very visceral. And like I said, the sound design, everything about it is just, it really makes you go, wow. He, he was like, how can I make people physically cringe in the theater? Mm -hmm. And he he succeeded. He definitely succeeded. Um, I think this was his best movie. I think date. so, yes. I feel like I agree. He always outdoes himself. Like there's never I know he's only done three, but there's never like disappointment in the movie. Like, oh, the last movie he did was better. No, it's always like he improves upon himself. But I think the twist is always it's always well done. It's always deserved. He also takes his time between movies. Mm-hmm. He he takes his time announcing that he's even doing it he takes his time like releasing it and if you think about it he i've never heard of an instance where it's kind of like leaked that he's starting the casting of a new movie i've never i don't remember because usually you'll hear like oh this like when knives out the sequel was first announced it was like oh these people were casted I think I rem- I remember casting calls coming out and it's like, oh, there's a new Jordan Peele movie and it casts uh, Lupita Nyong'o and Winston Duke. And that was like right after Black Panther came out or around the same time. And then later when Nope was in production, I remember Kiki Palmer and uh, um, Steve Yun being cast. But I don't remember any crazy, there's never been any plot leaks, I don't think. Or if no. there have, I've completely ignored them. I just feel like he just is a great director and to sum up like just this spotlight is that I can definitely see him doing more with like his work I feel like the way he does things like just his like genius in all these movies I feel like has already changed how we see horror he's very much one of the big main faces of modern horror. I feel like, you know, when you look at your Ari Aster's of today's age, um, of course for Hereditary and Midsommar and that whole, the whole A24 like modern horror that's been going on and also the other horror, the, the commercial stuff. And then there's the Jordan Peele stuff. And that's, it's been a staple since Get Out has come out. Everyone always looks forward to what comes next. I remember the premiere. They just keep getting bigger because when Us came out, that was huge. And then when Nope, even when the trailer was released, that was huge up until the movie itself was put out. These movies have become such a cultural staple, not just in horror, but also just in film not to mention yeah not to mention that he insists on using black leads because it's long since been a trope in horror of like the people of color in the films dying first Mm -hmm. or being used as plot devices and he does this really like intelligently because he incorporates these ideas that have or not these ideas but um issues that have been affecting the community like cultural appropriation racism um classism and so on like all those things are touched on in the movies but in a way that i don't think anyone else could do like when other horror genres try and touch on 
like just society in general, the newer ones, they suck at it. They suck at it. Like, I just think that they lack the subtlety and the ability to produce such like meaningful symbolism to produce that outcome, that idea in his films he can he's he's very good at it and yeah that's was he the one i'm trying to find the quote was he the one i think i saw an interview with him where he said i'm making black stories and i'm going to cast black actors to, yeah to put that he said he's not going to produce white stories in yeah. any of his movies because they've you know like they've they have their platform mm-hmm. and it's good because not only is he making quality film but he's also diversifying a medium and a market that is in desperate, desperate, desperate need of diversity. I feel like each kill that goes on in that movie specifically is very like significant and it calls out like maybe stereotypes, maybe how they view things. Like you said, how when, when Emerald Emerald is Kiki Palmer. Yeah, when Emerald wasn't like all about the the f- pictures and all of that, she survived. And she did much. a big Akira slide. Yeah, and she did the Akira slide. That gave her the power. <laughs> it gave her the power. But um, yeah, to, to sum it up, it's just like you can really analyze all of those aspects. And I feel like this is the first time we've seen in his films other than black and white. Yeah, and I, I feel think like so. yeah, it is because there were always just black and white characters. Yeah, so I feel like he's gonna move further into like those different areas. Like I feel like he's going to start like dive, like diving into how all of these minority groups kind of affect each other, um, are affected by the system the society, like society, um, how, you know, maybe I feel like this is my prediction that he might touch on the idea of coming together in terms of like minority groups, like not discriminating against each other and instead unifying in terms of like maybe colorism. I definitely think, um, it's very likely Because, you know, where else do you go? Yeah, I feel like he's just, he just came out of his box a little more in that department. I feel like it's always been like black and white. Mm -hmm. And he told those stories and clearly he was satisfied with the way he told those stories because now he's moving into an expanded territory of how this whole system can affect everybody and how you know, in good ways or bad ways, it can change the outcome of their lives and how they move about in the world. They also get weirder. And I love the weird. I love that he's embracing the weird and like each movie, the plot or not the plot, but like the, the, uh, like the first one, it's the body snatchers, but the second one, it's doppelgangers. And now it's a giant alien. Like it keeps growing in scale. And I love how he takes these 
cultural flaws and turns them into giant proportion scale crazy scenarios that could happen and not only are they scary and they're fun to watch but it's just it's really interesting to see the um the philosophy behind it and you know intellectually the the themes of these stories it's really cool to see how he's able to turn that into a bombastic horror movie and it's still able to put on a powerful message yeah and on that note i think um now is a good place to cap it off um this has been the first episode of our spotlight series um Hopefully we'll be able to do more of these in the future, these little small-scale episodes where we just kind of talk about a very specific topic. Um, yeah, I thought it was very fun to look at um, this director's work. Um, and yeah, um, I have been Dylan Gallo with the Stony Brook Press. And I'm Carmela with Stony Brook Press. And thank you for listening to our podcast. Thank you. And we're out. Yes, we are out.